This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, April 25th, 2022. I'm Kyle Callums. Ahead today, Mr. Troy brings us his new book, The Farmer and the Bunnies, that he developed from a game and song he created while working with children at the new school in Fayetteville. Plus, a reminder that the good old days might have been more old than good. Randy Dixon with the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History brings us archives from April 1975. War, inflation, and an energy crisis included. We begin today with polling places. Fewer polling places will be available to voters this election cycle, according to national data. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich spoke with several key Northwest Arkansas election officials who say that here, that's not the case in their counties. According to a recent election administration and voting survey report issued by the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, more than 107,000 polling places were used by voters during the 2020 presidential election, a significant decline from 230,000 tabulated in 2018. The decline of physical voting sites could be attributed to the COVID-19 pandemic when many voters were given the option, including in Arkansas, to vote absentee by mail. That was temporary. Typically, absentee voters require a legitimate excuse, but many states allowed what's now referred to as no-excuse absentee voting in 2020, including Arkansas. Nationwide, more than 160 million ballots were counted, in that year by 775,000 dedicated poll workers. Voting in Arkansas commences May 24th, with early voting May 9th in advance of the November 8th midterm election. And Jennifer Price, Director of Elections for Washington County, says plenty of polling places are preparing this election season. In 2020, we had 41 polling locations uh, that were open for the general election. In 2022, we still have 41 polling locations. So we've not decreased our number of election day voting sites. And we also have increased some of our early voting sites as well by offering limited early voting at different locations. Arkansas is among 18 states that allow for vote centers, which are an alternative to traditional neighborhood-based polling place precincts. When a jurisdiction opts to use vote centers, voters may cast their ballots on election day at any vote center in that jurisdiction, regardless of their residential address. But Price says certain counties have been shuttering traditional polling places due to vote centers. By being able to close some polling locations because they're in close proximity to other polling locations, Because the wonderful thing about vote centers, when a county can go to a vote center type of election, it allows voters to vote at any location, which gives voters actually a lot more flexibility in being able to cast their ballot. So that's one of the questions we should look at is if a county did close polling locations, was it because they moved to vote centers um, or is it because they have a lack of poll workers? Uh, You know, there are other mitigating circumstances sometimes on why a polling location might be closed. Price says vote centers provide major advantages compared to designated polling places. And one of those advantages is that if you have an address change, you don't, and it puts you at another polling location for those counties that are not uh, vote centers but are precinct-based voting, then you don't have to get in your car and drive across town and vote at another 
location, which we know sometimes voters may be reluctant to do because they've already waited in line at one polling location and then they have to go to another polling location and wait in line there and vote at that location. Or if it's close to the time that the polls might be closing, they might not have enough time to get from one polling location to another. So vote centers actually offer, you know, so much more accessibility to voters, um, especially those who might have an address change, or maybe they work outside of the county and they drive a long distance. And then, you know, come evening when they're driving home, as soon as they get back inside their county, County, they can stop and vote at the nearest polling location that they see. Search online at voterview.ar, where registered voters in Arkansas enter their name and date of birth. That opens a new window chock full of data, including a constituent's name, address, political affiliation, and precinct. Also listed are voting sites. It is so important for voters to be prepared when they go to the polls on election day. So step one, go to voter view, find out because of redistricting what your new precinct is, what you're eligible to vote for, such as state house, state senate, JP district, constable district, school district. All of those things are are really important to look at before you head to the polls. View a sample ballot there. Then when you come to the polls, um, you will be asked to show an approved form of ID. That approved form of ID must be issued by the state of Arkansas, the federal government, or post-secondary educational institution located in Arkansas. Um, You must show ID in order to vote a regular ballot on election day. If you're unable to show ID, you will be allowed to vote a provisional ballot, and this is where the new law comes into effect. Those voters who are unable to show ID when they're voting in person must, and also absentee voting, must then go to the county clerk's office and show their voter ID, approved photo ID, at the county clerk's office in order for that provisional ballot to count. So it requires a second step from the voter in order for the vote to count. In 2020, according to the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, more than 25,000 polling places were used for early voting nationwide. We queried the Arkansas Secretary of State for state data, but were told counties are not required to submit polling location data, so could not provide that number. Kenneth Scully is a Democrat election commissioner in Carroll County. Well, it's the same as it's been for since we started the vote centers. Six vote centers altogether operate in rural Carroll County at Osage Baptist Church in Alpena, St. Elizabeth Church in Eureka Springs. On Holiday Island, a newly incorporated city in the country club, as well as at churches in Green Forest and Oak Grove, in Berryville, polling will take place at the Carroll County Airport this year instead of the County Eastern District Courthouse, which has become far too small. Carroll County Clerk Connie Doss told us via email the county had trouble locating an alternative facility this election season, but says the airport will do nicely being ADA compliant and convenient. The airport and St. Elizabeth Church in Eureka Springs will also serve as early vote centers, Doss says. The Arkansas Board of Apportionment, comprised of Governor Asa Hutchinson, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, and the Arkansas Secretary of State, late last year approved redistricted county maps, redrawn congressional and other legislative district boundaries based on the 2020 census. 
While some such maps in Arkansas are being challenged in federal court citing racial bias, Scully says that's not the case in predominantly white Carroll County. The lines of precincts, yes, uh, very minor, actually. But what they tried to do is to try to even up the lines somewhat rather than, and it was all done on computer. Uh, it was not a partisan political venture. It was done by ES&S people uh, who are the ones who handle our voting machines. It's a nonpartisan group. Precincts uh, lines were changed a little bit to accommodate population growth and changes. Republican Benton County Election Commission Chairman Russell Anzalone says polling sites have remained constant in his county, 34 vote centers. And they're spread throughout the entire county. We try to do the best we can relative to having vote centers uh, where people can vote throughout the, the county where they don't have to drive long distances. Thirteen of those will be early voting sites. Anzalone recommends voters prepare to vote, legally searching their county election commission or county clerk website for their particular ballot. Almost everyone within Benton County, because of the redistricting and the additional Senate seats and representative seats that we have, has a different precinct, and that is what changes uh, who you would be voting for. So I would recommend that they do that so that there aren't any surprises on Election Day. The Arkansas preferential primary is scheduled May 24th, with early voting set May 9th from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. The general primary election is set for June 21st in Arkansas. Municipal elections are scheduled for August 9th. Early voting for the fall midterm election starts October 24th in advance of Election Day, November 8th. Voter registration for the Arkansas primary election is today. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Arkansas officials predict the state will become home for more electric vehicle manufacturing plants and headquarters. This week on Arkansas PBS, State Secretary of Commerce Mike Preston said the state has taken a proactive approach to preparing land for large companies. I think where we were deficient previously was having a good site that would shovel ready that a company could come in and say, we're going to break ground and we need 1,500 acres to be able to do it. We didn't have that. And that was part of the reason why we lost out on projects before. We now have several great sites around our state that would be classified as a mega site. Preston says he expects more electric vehicle manufacturers like Canoe and Envirotech to develop operations in Arkansas. Earlier this month, the Envirotech assembly plant in Osceola produced its first finished electric vehicles. Arkansas received $54 million to develop charging stations as part of the Biden administration's infrastructure bill. Walton Arts Center extends their thanks and appreciation to the dedicated and generous group of volunteers who commit their time, talents, and resources to helping present the arts in our community. New volunteers are invited to join the team. waltonartscenter.org slash volunteer for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. Celebrations of the 50th anniversary of the Buffalo River becoming the first national river continue. Friday, a discussion about the past, present, and future of the river and the people who live near it will take place in Gearhart Hall on the University of Arkansas campus. A co-production of the university's humanities program and the U of A libraries, the panel will be moderated by Brooks Blevins. 
Blevins is the author of several books about the Ozarks and the Noel Boyd Professor of Ozark Studies at Missouri State University. The panel is titled Economics, Environmentalism, and the Buffalo National River. We asked two of the coordinators of Friday's panel to give us a preview. Joshua Youngblood is Rare Books Librarian and Head of Instruction and Outreach in Special Collections at U of A Libraries. And Jared Phillips is Teaching Assistant Professor of International Studies at the University and author of the book Hip Billies, Deep Revolution in the Arkansas Ozarks. Jared Phillips says they wanted to make this discussion include voices of Newton County residents, the people who live next to the river. Headwaters are there. Our iconic spaces are there. Um, I, we, you know, we, we did talk a lot about how we think about the buffalo as a whole, and we really wanted to think, and you can probably speak more about this mm-hmm. as well, but we, we really want to think about that national aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we we're very fortunate this year because there's lots of different organizations that are doing celebrations, and we all love the Buffalo River. So celebrating the National Park, that's incredibly important, and the, and the Park Service is doing so many great events. The Ozark Society and the documentary they just led and all of the work that's being done on that end about commemorating the, the, the struggle or the battle uh, for the Buffalo, that part of it. But one of the things that our project is doing, and all the different talks and events are going to address this, is, um, you know, it, it's a socially complex and culturally complex and economically complex uh, historical event that's still unfolding, of course. Yeah. And so speaking of Newton County, you know, it's the people there were impacted. Some were in favor. Many weren't in favor. Um, people that came after might have been in favor in different reasons. People that were already living there might not have been or maybe might have been. So people had their reactions uh, and they also had their lives uh, to lead in that valley. So me, some I've been in Arkansas for 10 years. I absolutely love the Buffalo National River. Go, go there all the time. Um, as a historian and somebody who loves these things, I love seeing the structures there. But also I know that I'm, I'm still a tourist at this point. It's, it's not my county. It's not my river. Um, at least not in the same way it is for other people. And so getting uh, that long economic story, the long social story, uh, and, and as part of this larger, broader conversation, again, it's a scholarly take, but also getting the take from the people that are really impacted by it. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in as this discussion was happening, whether it should be dammed and mm-hmm. the move towards the National River. You know, I grew up in Baxter County where Bull Shoals Dam was, sure. and you saw the the, art of the man-made lake come in and and some tourism boom there. Norfolk Dam, Beaver Dam. And so there were people in Newton County 55 years ago who were like, where's ours? Mm-hmm. Right. I right. mean, it wasn't as easy a decision for everybody as we now would like to think. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, Dr. Blevins will talk about, and I'm sure our panelists are going to talk about, is you know, the promise of those dams, the damming projects that we see around Bull Shoals, even, even you know, our own Beaver, you know, here at Beaver Lake, like, it didn't quite come to the same sort of economic power that we thought it was going to be. A lot of, you know, you can drive out now, and some of those areas are, they're just not what we were promised as Arkansans, right? Um, and so it could be that, that, that um, there's a high social and cultural cost in some measure for nationalizing the river that we did. But there was also a really high cost, maybe a higher cost if we just dammed the river up. But this has created a sustained cultural and economic engagement along the whole stretch of the river, not just this Newton County, the upper headwaters part that we're kind of focused on, um, that maybe we wouldn't have had, had we not, you know, uh, had we not dealt with it in the way that we did, you know, doesn't mean it's not without conflict. And it doesn't mean that we, that, 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 that story of the people who were neither for the dam nor against them, who just kind of wanted to be left alone, mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be addressed. You know, it doesn't mean that, right. but, you know, and thankfully that's what, you know, it's what we're trying to do a little bit with this panel and other, other, other organizations 
this year trying to do as well. And this is one of, you know, um, Brooks several years ago at a conference on the Buffalo at, that we held at Shiloh, he kind of brought this to the fore, this conversation of like, well, what about the people like my grandparents who were removed from a damning project in Missouri? Like, what about their stories in this? And so that's kind of where we're trying to get at a little bit. How do we, how do we ask these questions? How do we provide a space for the community to feel like they can speak back to you know, both people like Josh and I as historians, but also the Ozark Society and the National Park Service. And how do we how do we open up this space to get a better conversation? Yeah. And, you know, the, the story is still unfolding. So this right. is yeah. a, this it's, is yeah. a history Incredibly that was done relevant, in, yeah. in 1972. Yeah. Just like it wasn't done, you know, when the state park was founded before that and mm-hmm. or with the founding of the Ozark Society or with all the victories or losses, depending on which side mm-hmm. in the decades mm-hmm. since. And so some of the people that are coming together with us on April 29th are going to talk about, you know, continuing to try to protect the ecosystem there mm-hmm. and those ongoing struggles. And what does it mean to um, to work with economic development and with a mind towards uh, environmental preservation? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you navigate increased use or increased popularity and the tourist economy in the natural state? Um, how is that happening? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of questions that we still need to investigate. And so as a historian, but also as an archivist and a librarian, capturing those stories, helping people tell that story, uh, and really feeling part of the narrative, the narrative that's still unfolding and taking shape. That's really important. And that's part of what um, all of us in, in this project, which we're, we're calling Digital Buffalo, digitalbuffalo.uark.edu. Um, this, this Digital Buffalo project is about the ongoing effort to understand it and also how much work we still have to do to understand the cultural and social complexity looking backwards too. I mean, the racial questions involved with the Ozarks. Right, right, this is something right. that still we have to grapple with, still we're trying to understand. Just like uh, um, Dr. Phillips and I in our panel with uh, Dr. Blevins is going to be looking at social and economic. There is lots of really complex issues here that we just really haven't dug into as much as we need to still. Do you have a first memory of the buffalo? Yeah, I do. I was a kid. I was a young kid and my granddad took me to dog patch. Um, yeah. You know, up north of Jasper, for whatever reason, I have no idea why we went there. I barely remember it. You know, I I, I think I remember we we got there. Um, my granddad was a true hill farmer. We had the farm truck, and then we had like the red Buick that my grandmother drove, and so we drove the red Buick um, because we're not going to take the farm truck all the way to Newton County, especially you know in 1985 or whatever 86. You know what? How old I was at the time, and I remember we got there. We kind of looked around, and he he didn't seem very impressed, and so we turned around and came home. <laughs> so. Well, that was the waning days of dog patch. Yeah, too. for sure. There wasn't much to be impressed. For sure, yeah. yeah. Whereas back in the heyday, you know, definitely. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I'll tell you. I was <laughs> a seven-year-old did. in 1970, yeah. and we took a field trip. My second yeah. grade class, I still remember the yeah. the excitement. Buffalo River and dog yeah. patch. Yeah, that com- that combined. You know, this is... This is part of the story, too, of the, of the river. You know, there were hopes that we had Branson developing just to the north, right? Rockaway mm-hmm. Beach, a little bit further than that. This is developing as this, like, hillbilly tourist mecca, yeah, right? Yeah, the, the folk center. Yeah, the, the folk center's the, coming out. The east, yeah. yeah. and so, and then there was there was a, a real hope that if the if the if we're not going to dam the river and we're not going to leave it alone and we're going to nationalize it, that's going to create a, a, a kind of a tourist economy that, that uh, like, a cultural economy that doesn't really actually develop, right? Like, and so, and, and, and honestly, you know, even into the 90s and the early 2000s, I don't think that the river economy was necessarily what we hoped it would be. It's really only been in the last decade or so that we've seen the buffalo really take off. Uh, you know, the Park Service reps might disagree with me on the number, <laughs> usage numbers and stuff. But yeah. when, I, when I sort of think about the, the amount of people that come through Washington County and they're moving for Newton County, they're heading to the river, it's just, mm-hmm. and they're not even hanging out here. It's just like, man, that wasn't that way when I was a kid, you know. 
And of course, now we're seeing another wave of development that's yeah. not associated to the river other than it being the most, the, the gym attraction out there. Yeah. But you know, Newton County is seeing another wave of, of infill and development. Right. Well, there's a new era. We have a new era of back to the landers. Yeah. We have we have all of the outdoor recreation from, from the Walton Foundation investment in that region. Mm-hmm. And that's, 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 that's both accelerating the, the movement of things in the county, but also endangering some of these cultural things, uh, these cultural icons and systems that, that have been there for better or for worse for 50 years, 100 years. Yeah. You know, and something those Ozarks have experienced for decades going back more than a century now is waves of cultural commodification yep. as well. Yep. How do you sell it? Yep. How do you sell it to attract people here, uh, whether to, you know, just as tourists or how do you sell it to make them move here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're, we're seeing another wave of that too. And that's something that throughout the history of the Buffalo National River as a park, but also before that mm-hmm. and, you know, in decades into the future, we're going to see how people conceive of the Ozarks as a place. Uh, how accurate is that? How true is that? Um, is it evolving? And can, can we really pinpoint it somewhere. What, what is the Ozarks culture? What is the Ozarks place? Joshua Youngblood is Rare Books librarian and head of instruction and outreach in special collections at the University of Arkansas Libraries. And Jared Phillips is teaching assistant professor of international studies at the university. He's also the author of the book, Hip Billies, Deep Revolution in the Arkansas Ozarks. They were in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio this month to discuss Friday afternoon's panel, Economics, environmentalism, and the Buffalo National River. The discussion is at 2 Friday afternoon in the Honors College Lounge in Gearhart Hall on the U of A campus, and it will also be live-streamed. You can find that link at eventbrite.com or by going to ozarksatlarge.com. Just ahead, the challenges we faced 47 years ago this month. No pandemic, but the end of the Vietnam War, a crippling energy crisis, and more. Randy Dixon and the latest collection of archives from the Pryor Center just ahead. But before that, a few seconds of calm provided by morning birds at the top of Mount Sequoia recorded ahead of this weekend's heavy rains. An active early morning on Mount Sequoia last week. This is Ozarks at Large. The Vietnam evacuation had started before the U.S. Marines left the ships in the South China Sea. Vietnamese were fleeing to the ships on every available transport. Loads of men, women, and children were appearing all the time during evacuation day on the decks of the command ship. This is Ozarks at Large. You've probably figured out now it's time to invite... Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History into our studio. Randy, welcome back. Thank you for having me. What did we start off with this Monday? Well, that uh, was ABC News foreign correspondent Bill Mildike, and today we're going to talk about uh, a time capsule of April of 1975. So that's 47 years ago we're talking about. That's right, and it was the final day of April uh, when Saigon fell during the Vietnam War. So that was a portion of uh, Bill Mildike's report uh, from Saigon as he was leaving. Um, so let's, I mean, that was obviously the big story right. uh, of the month. And uh, so we'll be backing up, but let's go ahead and hear 
a little bit more of that newscast uh, with anchorman Howard K. Smith. The first communist forces entered the city at mid-morning. An advanced column of tanks moved swiftly to the presidential palace and smashed down the gates by force. Government troops removed their uniforms and switched to civilian clothes all over town. A police colonel approached an army war memorial, saluted, and then shot himself. Truckloads of regular communist troops began appearing throughout the city. A victory parade developed down the main street. People began to appear on the sidewalk. Several hundred applauded the communist troops. There were small pockets of resistance in some parts of the city, but generally the takeover of the city was peaceful. The Viet Cong said that fighting continued in provinces west of Saigon. There had been widespread looting when the Americans left. The U.S. embassy was ransacked. According to one reporter, when the communists entered the city, the looting stopped. Howard K. Smith discussing the fall of Saigon from 47 years ago this month. Very dramatic. Well, yes. Yes. Uh, that that officer who saluted and then yeah. shot himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking back at the month of April 1975. That's right. And... Um, well, well, we'll continue talking about the Vietnam War. Um, newly elected U.S. Senator Dale Bumpers, who had been governor, uh, new U.S. Senator, uh, talked about the ending of the war. I don't like to think that it has because uh, for a number of reasons. Anything that, uh, anything that the United States can accomplish over a five-year period with 500,000 uh, men and $150 billion worth of uh, assistance uh, certainly would indicate that, uh, that the people there are not all that sold on the two regime are protecting whatever the status quo was that we were supposed to be helping protect. I think that uh, the president made a point in his press conference this afternoon. He, he obviously was prepared at the outset of his press conference to assure other allies, such as our NATO allies, to assure them that this in no way vitiates our commitment to NATO. And of course, the end of the Vietnam War also, you know, resonates to this day in, in the Arkansas River Valley. People who came from Saigon and Vietnam to Fort, the Fort Smith area. That's true. And, they, they were at Fort Chaffee. Right. And, and many of them have stayed in the region and created businesses and lives and families. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that was Dale Bumpers that we heard just a moment ago. We're going to hear about somebody else who was sort of at the time synonymous with 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 the war in his opposition. Yes, uh, very uh, anti-war activist. I guess you could call him America's baby doctor. They did then. Yeah, Dr. Benjamin Spock, uh, who had the incredibly uh, popular book on how to raise kids. I mean— and if if you were born in the in the fifties, I guess even in the forties, forties, fifties, sixties, you would be raised uh, by the words of this man. If you've ever seen the movie Raising Arizona, his book That's plays right. a part in the ra- in that movie. Yes, it sure does. Uh, so this is when he was visiting Arkansas before right. he lived in Arkansas. Right, and uh, this was. Previous, this was early in the month, so the war was still going, and he was talking about America's involvement. Uh, 
Uh, as you know, it isn't over at all. Uh, and the, the tragic part is, the, the immoral part is that it's United States bombs and bullets and planes that are killing people. And this is one of the uh, shocking parts about uh, the President of the United States making uh, the gesture of going up and holding a Vietnamese uh, baby in his arms to show how we love Vietnamese babies. We've been killing ba Vietnamese babies for uh, eight years, uh, our government, because it thought that the interests of the United States were involved. And it's a little bit hypocritical at this uh, late stage to uh, hold babies in your arms. Uh, President Ford has been trying to keep the war going. He's still trying to keep the war going. And it's not because the Vietnamese people want to keep the war going. It's the United States that's paying for it. We're paying our puppet to keep it going. Dr. Benjamin Spock, a pediatrician, worldwide famous pediatrician. That was during a visit to Arkansas. He later lived in, on Beaver Lake, did he not? He did. Yeah. He, he, his final days yeah. or, I guess, years. Yeah. He, he lived there for a while. Yeah. All right. Uh, we heard from Senator Dale Bumpers earlier. Now we're going to hear from another newly elected Arkansas politician. Governor David Pryor. And he is talking about the other big subject of the mid-70s, uh, along with inflation and recession. There was the energy crisis. And uh, he's talking about the crisis and the need for conservation of energy. If we in this country, and particularly those of us in the Southwest, if we are unable at this time or in the future to meet the harsh requirements of the energy crisis, or if we are overly or unduly optimistic and fail to face the truth and to face the facts, then the future of our very lives, I think, and you will agree, would be in danger. Governor David Pryor, as we uh, survey April 1975 this week on our Pryor Center profile. That's right. Another politician, well-known at the time, 2nd District Congressman Wilbur Mills. He was just coming off of a big, big scandal. He uh, was found in the Tidal Basin with a stripper. Tidal Basin in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yes, Yes, and um, caused a, a big scandal. He was reelected, though. He did step down as chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, but he did come forward and was very open about his alcoholism. And at this point, in April of 75, he had gone to Florida uh, for rehab. And this is a report from John Hudgens, from KTV, who went to Kensett, his which, hometown, his hometown, and uh, this is a portion of his report. One of Arkansas Congressman Wilbur Mills' late model Lincoln Continental limousine sits idle at his home in Arkansas. That's not the Lincoln Continental made famous from the Tidal Basin incident. There is no one home at 202 Searcy Street in Kensett, Arkansas. A next-door neighbor said Polly Mills left last week to join her husband in Florida, where he is apparently undergoing treatment for alcoholism. The congressman's brother, George, runs a hardware store in downtown Kensett, and he said he had heard Monday that Wilbur was doing just fine, although he would not be interviewed and would not discuss the possibility that the congressman might go back to work in Washington, a place he has not been since winning re-election to the Post last November. Although there was rumor and discussion from the man on the street in Kensett 
that he might go back to work later this month as early as next week. This is John Hudgens reporting in Kensett, Arkansas for News Scene 7. There was also an airline strike taking place in April 75? Well, yes, and it didn't really affect Arkansas that much because at the time, Little Rock Airport, which is now Clinton mm-hmm. Airport, uh, is was Adams Field and had very little. There was, I believe, American Airlines and this airline, which is um, Texas International, um, was on strike, and the strike ended, and as you can tell from this interview from a spokesman, it it really didn't affect service a whole lot to Little Rock. Yes, this is a permanent uh, back-to-work. The contract has been officially ratified. What about customers? Has that... Well, yes, our passenger loads uh, understandably will be down for a while, and uh, our flight schedule will be predicated on the uh, gaining back of our customer load. So there is no permanent date as to when more than two flights will resume? When the schedule will be increased? No, I'm afraid not at this time. And, of course, at that time, XNA was not even a gleam in anybody's eye. We had Drake Field in northwest Arkansas. I guess Fort Smith had its airport. Right. And I don't even know if Skyways was around then. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know it was in the in the 80s. Right. But I don't know if it, it dated back to the mid-70s. I know we have some people who listen to us who are airport and airline historians. Maybe they'll tell us what was going on at so. Drakefield. Please in, do. In the 70s, in yeah. the mid-70s. Yeah. So we had some other celebrities other than Dr. Spock mm-hmm. come to Arkansas uh, that month. Uh, social and civil rights activist Julian Bond, yeah, uh, who was a state senator from Georgia and was also the president of the Southern Poverty Law Center, which he co-founded. Right. And uh, he was in Arkansas speaking. We have become multidirectional, which is both good and bad. It's good in the sense that there is not a single direction that will achieve for us what we need. If we only engage in politics, we will fail. If we only engage in economic development, we will fail. If we only engage in educational advancement, we will fail. If we only engage in developing some cultural solidarity and strengthening cultural heritage, we will fail. That we need to do all of those things. A young Julian Bond in Arkansas. Very young. Yeah. Yes. Oh, speaking of young... Very young. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tanya Tucker. Right. She came to town for a concert. She was promoting, I believe, her fourth album. She's 17 years old. Well, she had already, she was a music veteran at that point. Well, yeah, her fourth album. Right. 17. She had her first hit when she was 13. Right. With Delta Dawn. Yeah. And still young in 75. She talked about um, what she wanted to do with her life. I want to do as much as I can do within my, you know, limits and uh, possibilities. If my possibilities are to go sell a million records, and you know, every time I put out a record, that's great, you know. But and I hope that uh, that I can fulfill all the things that I would like to, you know, like I like to do things like uh, I want to go to Europe and I'd like to make a movie. I like I'd like to. uh, have a lot of, I'd like to have a gold record. I haven't had a gold record yet. I'd love to do that. And uh, just travel a lot, which I have been doing a lot of lately. And uh, and it would be uh, 
just really, it's really exciting. It's, it's, it's an exciting business. And I, I thought the other day, I go, well, if I had a choice to be anything else in the world, I don't think I'd want to be anything else in the world because I enjoy doing this. And of course, didn't she have a rather uh, famous tabloid relationship with another Arkansan, Glenn Campbell? Yes, yeah. for several years, yeah. off and on, very, very yeah. volatile. Yes. But she was also, to this day, she's still considered one of the outlaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, she dated Merle Haggard. She dated uh, Waylon Jennings. Good for her. And so she is her. in, and I believe uh, there was a top ten list of country outlaws, and she was the only female who made the list. I She's always been an iconoclast. I've always liked Tanya Tucker. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. too. Yeah. And she's she's only sixty two now. I consider her still young, and she's still <laughs> touring. Yeah, and uh, you were saying she Had a pretty good album last year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's still still at it. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, you want to talk tomatoes? I love tomatoes, fresh grown tomatoes. I like growing tomatoes too. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm Shannon. Yeah, you're my wife. wife yeah. uh, has me. Working hard on a garden in the backyard. So, you know what they say nothing tastes better than that $150 tomato you've grown yourself. That's true. <laughs> and in this case, it may even be more. <laughs> but there is something about taking them right off the vine. That's true. And so, we had a, an agriculture reporter, uh, John Philpot, who would do regular reports. And this is the time of year that you're pretty much. Putting yeah. not only tomatoes, but most of your, you know, seedling crops in the, in the ground. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure, uh-huh. we've already put in the lettuce and the strawberries. Oh, that's but yeah, yeah. I basically you put in the strawberries so birds have something to snack on. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, John Philpot. Yes, well, he's doing a report here um, on. Uh, he talked to a grower in North Little Rock. Uh, and he was the person with the huge greenhouse that was selling tomato seedlings. And John Philpot talked to him about this year's crop. Mr. Yada, what uh, do you hear about the supply of tomato plants this year? I didn't hear too much about it, but uh, I think we're going to have lots of plants. You have plenty here at your place? Yes. What about, do you mean? about how many do you try to grow every year? Oh, about half a million or over. Mm. Where do these go to? All over Arkansas or outside? All over Arkansas. Most most Arkansas. How do you go about growing tomato seedlings like this? And oh, you start from seed, then what do you do? We start from seed in a germinating room in a dark house, you know. Mm-hmm. Keep the heat about the average temperature. Mm-hmm. And how long? How long? That. Oh, you transplant the seedling? We transplant the seedling, mm-hmm. every one of them, one by one, to individual pot or tray pack or whatever container it is. How long does it take to grow a seedling, uh, say, up to about four or five inches? About one month. About one month. Mm-hmm. What are the dangers involved in trying to grow uh, tomato plants? I know there's danger of frost always this time of year. Yes, danger of frost and uh, Watering too much or let them dry too much. Mm-hmm. You have to keep the moisture. Do you have all kinds of varieties? We have all kinds, almost all kinds of varieties, I say. 
and these are available for sale right now. That's right. Well, tomatoes are a big crop in the state of Arkansas, both commercially and in the home garden. We like them both ways, but mainly we like them on the table. John Philpot, Cooperative Extension Service, reporting for New Scene 7. And John Philpot was with KATV for a while, right? That's yes. a familiar name. Long time. Yeah, okay. And he covered everything from uh, Riceland Foods to duck hunting to, I mean, everything. He even did uh, the 5 o'clock weather. Oh, wow. Um, and I'll never forget uh, on the opening day of duck season, he came out in front of, you know, they have the the big green screen mm -hmm. where you have the map that you point to right, things. Right. He came out in full camouflage and had a 12-gauge shotgun oh. and used the shotgun as a pointer okay. for the map. Today I would have been out of the studio, just, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> April 75, a different kind of time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And um, what do you say we close with a little Tanya Tucker? I'm always for that. Her, her original hit, age 13, Delta Dawn. And the pipes that she had at 13. Oh, my gosh. All right. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. We'll be back next week. See you next week. Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? Take you to his mansion in the sky She's 41 and her daddy still calls her baby All the folks around Brownsville say she's crazy Cause she walks downtown with a suitcase in her hand Looking for There's your earworm for today you're welcome. Tomorrow on Ozarks, we continue our stories about voting in advance of the Arkansas primaries next month. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith delves into voting rights. And we'll talk with Daniel Carruth about last week's Day of Debates, featuring candidates seeking party nominations for state constitutional offices. He was there, and we'll find out more about those debates at noon and 7 tomorrow and on the free daily Ozarks at Large podcast available wherever you already get podcasts. Keith O'Brien will discuss his latest book, Paradise Falls, The True Story of an Environmental Catastrophe, Saturday at the Bentonville Public Library at 11 a.m. in the Walmart Community Room. He'll discuss the book about the devastating environmental crisis at Love Canal in western New York, and he'll also sign copies of his book. You can find many more details about his visit at bentonvillelibrary.org. James Kimbo Dryden is this year's 2022 Arkansas Living Treasure, as selected by the Arkansas Arts Council. It was announced, announced this morning. The Hot Springs-based potter will be honored at a ceremony May 20th. The sixth-ranked Arkansas softball team continues to do well against other nationally-ranked teams. This weekend, the Razorbacks swept number 9 Florida in Gainesville to improve to 35-8 and this season. Arkansas now has a dozen wins this year against ranked teams. Up next for Arkansas, Central Arkansas tomorrow night beginning at 6 in Bogle Park on the U of A campus. And the fourth-ranked Razorback baseball team dropped two of three at Texas A&M in College Station, Texas 
Texas this weekend. Arkansas now 31-9 and so far this year. They will meet Central Arkansas for a game at Dickey Stevens Park in North Little Rock tomorrow night. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is Ozarks at Large. Troy Schremer is known to the youngest folks at the new school in Fayetteville as Mr. Troy. At the school, he is officially the early childhood education, music, and movement teacher. One of the ways he incorporates music and movement for young children is the game and subsequent song, The Farmer and the Bunnies. Now he's created a book based on the game and song, and last week we asked him about it when he visited the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Absolutely. Um, the Farmer and the Bunnies, is compl- it started out just as a game, a tag game. And mostly I was playing it with what we call our three-year-old pod, um, with our three-year-olds. And I would um, play this tag game. And to make it a little bit more interesting, um, they were bunnies. And at one point I was a coyote or a wolf or something. And that was a little too scary. And so I was like, no, I'm a farmer. And even that could be a little uh, tricky. Because, you know, farmers have a bad rap with rabbits. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a jackrabbit farmer. So I'm, I'm, I'm a farmer like the bunnies. Ah, okay. And it's just that I've grown these vegetables to take to market, and they're taking the veggies away to eat them. And it's also fun because then we're talking about veggies, and they're playing with the veggies. And, and more and more kids like broccoli than you'd think. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, you know. And the broccoli makes it a little appearance. Well, so I, spoiler alert, I don't want to give too much away, but the bunnies are interested in kind of having fun. Yes. And the farmer needs to work. Yes. The, the, the main conflict is that the farmer's got a work to do and the bunnies have fun that they want to have. And he not right now because he's going to market. And then, then things change and we've got to, we've got to figure out a way to, to get from one to the other. What's fun about the book is that, of course, it came out of this game, and then it became a song, and I would sing it and play it with the kids. And then um, COVID hit, and so uh, what I did to reach out to the kids was I got on Facebook and did Facebook Live. And so some, some of the families would then be able to watch me sing live to the kids, and I would see them uh, you know, make little comments. And so I would say, oh, hi, Billy. Hi, Susie. And uh, sing to them specifically. Uh, And then when that was done, I had a lot of time on my hands that I didn't have because um, our school wasn't uh, wasn't open. We closed down. We shut down. And that's the new school. That's the new school. I am uh, the music and movement teacher for the little kids at at the new school. And so I basically spent my afternoons and evenings doing this. I made I I drew these drawings and I and I worked on it and and went back and forth with other with other folks and had different uh, versions of it and um, finally got it done uh, for the library and I first performed it at the library. So you wrote it. Yeah. You illustrated it. I did. You wrote the song. Yes. You're a triple threat. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what gives you so much joy about this? Because. I wish people could see you because you're just exuding joy about this. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that I love to do when I when I'm singing to and uh, singing to children is is just it took me a long time to get there, um, but it is it is a joy that it never taps out. I just really love it because, of course, they're a very fun 
crazy audience. They tell me immediately when things are going wrong, and I'll change the song. They don't care. They don't care what the set list is. I can just mix it up, or I could go back to a song we just sang and sing that five times, and they like that too. Um, but uh, what what I what I really love is when when I'm singing with the kids, um, and they're singing back. It's just it's so immediate. It's it's so very fun. And this book and these drawings are actually my kids. And so some of the kids know, oh, that's me. That's me. Um, that bunny is actually me uh, that I drew of them. Um, and, and then there's also the fun with kids who, who are, get, are brand new to the book or brand new to the song. And I'll ask them and say, which, which bunny could you be? Which one could you be? And, um, and then they're like, oh, I'm definitely the purple one, or I'm this one, I'm definitely this one. And then they keep going through this. They'll stop me from reading the book to stop me and let me know which exact bunny they are. Do you ever hear from parents, or have you heard from parents since the book came out that said, now they want me to do the song when we have the book? Yes. Uh, and I, what's, the song does have a tune. The, the, the book does have a tune. But I, I also, w- I hope that um, uh, there are other there are other ways to read it. And I do have friends who have read it already or they've read it to me and they read it without the music and or they make up their own tune. And, you know, Sandra Boyton is a children's illustrator and she writes music and she writes uh, children's books. And several of her books we had when my son was really little and we made up our own tunes to those. And it was very fun. And then we would like hear it. Um, we'd be hear it, you know, someone would play it or we'd hear it. We'd actually look it up uh, on the, what is it called? The interwebs. <laughs> and we would listen to it. And be like, oh, that's the tune, you know? So, yes, I can, I can sing the song and, and, and parents can sing along with it. But most of my kids, because most, most of the families who are getting it, they know it already right now. Uh, some families it's starting to reach out and other families are getting it going, yeah, what is that tune? I just had a mom say, could you sing that for me? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, that it, I think that it can work just making it up, just, just kind of freewheeling it like we did when we made the story. Well, can we hear a bit of the song yeah. as it would be done by Mr. Troy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, basically, the bunnies, 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 is just, it's just a run up and down like do, re, mi, do, re, mi, fa, so, mi, mi. That's all it is. And so, um, let's see, where could I pick up? You say, he runs off, but not too far. He comes back with his guitar. He grins and picks a simple song on his six strings When Farmer calls the bunnies This is what he sings And this is the main tune Bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Hop, hop, hop And they do The bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Hop, hop, hop Oh, bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Dance, dance, dance And the bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Dance, dance, dance Bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Laugh, laugh, laugh And the bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Laugh, laugh, laugh Bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Get ready for some fun Bunnies, bunnies, bunnies Run, 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 run And that's usually the point of the story in the book Where I just start running around chasing the children <laughs> and I then it comes that. down. Then it comes down, and we all chill out and we can relax. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a get going, get crazy, excited, and then you can bring it back down. 
You strike me as someone who writes a lot of songs. Like in idle time, you're just your mind is going. You know, I I, I I'm I'm getting better at it. I, I write lots of snippets of the Sure, song. sure. Okay. <laughs> Fair. It's hard for me to finish the song, but I do write lots of little songs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then sometimes I, you know, I steal. I'm a big believer in the folk tradition that you take a little from here and you take a little from here. Um, you know, I have a song. This is probably my, my most popular song. And um, it is, I stole it from Ella Jenkins. I stole the melody from her. And then I stole the story from Gerald McDermott. Um, he has all these tricksters tales and he has this beautiful book called, um, the coyote. And, uh, and so I sing this song and I, I get the kids going. This is this, and this is up to, you know, uh, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. I mean, old kids. <laughs> it goes a little something like this. It goes, coyote, 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 ow, ow, ow. Blue Coyote follows his nose. He gets in trouble wherever he goes. Singing Coyote, 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 Coyote. Ow, ow, ow. And we can sing that song for a long time. Troy Schremer, a.k.a. Mr. Troy, speaking with us last week. You can find The Farmer and the Bunny's book at blurb.com. Mr. Troy will also be at the Fayetteville Public Library on Tuesday mornings this summer. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, concludes its current main stage season Saturday, April 30th at Walton Arts Center with a celebration of human resilience performing Mahler's intensely powerful Sixth Symphony under the baton of maestro Paul Haas. Tickets available at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. This is KUAF 91.3. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Huntsville. Oh, by the way, earlier this hour, we heard 17-year-old Tanya Tucker from 1975 say one of her goals was to have a gold record. Well, she hit that goal. The official count, 11 gold and two platinum records for Tanya Tucker. Timothy Dennis is our producer today. Our contributors this Monday included Jacqueline Froelich, and Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center. Additional content on today's show came from the newsroom at KUAR, public radio for Little Rock and all of Central Arkansas. We're back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 with a brand new Tuesday edition of our show. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Callums.